Welcome to the Sermon of the Week at New Hope Community Church. We hope that you're blessed and encounter God's presence as you listen to this message. Anybody got an Alexa in your house? You do? Are you you're kind of scared? People are scared that somebody's listening in. My daughter just got one. We were there in Christmas and we were just trying to be careful what we said. But they made a new Alexa with a, a male Alexa and it doesn't listen to anyone. Um, <laughs> Thank you, I'll be here all week. <laughs> Actually, I won't, I'll be gone tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> So I have to read a news report here before I start. I have to make sure of the time. It's going to be done by 11.30. 11.34, you give me five more minutes? That's awesome. Wow. Well, I'll just talk slower, too. Um, by the way, this is um, equal persecution to all denominations. Okay. The Presbyterian Church called a meeting to decide what to do about the squirrels. After much prayer and consideration, they concluded the squirrels were predestined to be there, and they shouldn't interfere with God's divine will. At the Baptist Church, the squirrels had taken an interest in the baptistry. The deacons met decided to put a water slide in. Hopefully, the squirrels would slide down and drown themselves. But the squirrels liked the slide and unfortunately knew instinctively how to swim, so twice as many squirrels showed up the following week. The Methodist Church decided they were not in a position to harm any of God's creatures, so they humanely trapped the squirrels and set them free near the Baptist Church. <laughs> Two weeks later, the squirrels were back when the Baptists took down the water slide. But the Catholic Church came up with a very creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels and consecrated them as members of the church. Now they only see them on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> <laughs> Not much was heard from the Jewish synagogue, for they took the first squirrel and circumcised it, and they haven't seen a squirrel since. <laughs> we'll give you all a little time to enjoy that one. <laughs> Did I go over the line, Stephen? Oh, okay, good, good, good. Um, so <clears throat> I've been doing a, a, a study. I'm mean, actually I'm always doing a study. <laughs> what am I not doing a study? Um, but I was reading Isaiah 43 recently, and uh, <clears throat> just the way that God makes a way through the sea, makes a path through waters. And in in troubling times, there's always a way through. There's always a way out. And it, it was just so encouraging. To us, we put our house for sale uh, a year ago, <laughs> April 1st of last year, and it was, it's a beautiful home, it's a great home in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, out in, the outs in one of the suburbs, and um, just all this interest, and not one, it was priced right, all the houses around us were selling, and ours didn't. We were trying to figure out what's going on, and, and, and uh, it was just... You know, when, when you think you know what God wants, uh, but you, you, you don't have fully the timing? 
years ago, you, you will believe this, it was back when I was young and Carol was young. Um, <clears throat> I love my sister. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it's nice being a younger brother. And the, I, I saw this comedian on TV. So I decided I wanted to be a comedian. So I don't know if you were in the kitchen, but I know Mark was in the kitchen and Mom was in the kitchen. So I listened to this joke that he had, and I ran into the kitchen right after that, and I just, I, I was in my socks. I remember sliding over, kind of like Tom Cruise in that movie. I don't know what it is, but I always see the commercials or the ads. And so I'm sliding over, and I said, there's this guy named, and I'd forgotten the, the brunt of the joke. And I stopped right there. There's this guy named, and my brother looks at me and goes, yeah. I don't remember. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and I was completely um, taken aback that, that uh, my future in comedy was gone. And my, my plan just kind of went down the drain. Um, I say that because plans are, are amazing. We should make plans. Um, someone once said, uh, angels laugh when men make plans. I understand that. But without plans, we're foolish. Plans are wise things to do. Um, and sometimes you get a divine touch upon a plan. You know that the timing is God. You know it's, it's good here or there. Um, but plans uh, need to be held loosely. <clears throat> when we started the House of Prayer in Kansas City, um, actually, um, we started it, like I started on, a, on Sunday nights before it actually started in April of 99. And we, were, we just needed people. We needed human beings to take shifts so that at some point in time, we'd be 24-7. So if, if you do the math, uh, and every, every set is two hours, that's 84 two-hour sets in a week. So it's hard enough for a church to do a one-hour prayer meeting. We're talking about 84 two-hour prayer meetings every week. So we needed people that were committed, that... that um, that felt that God had called them to this. This was not something you, you know, you don't inspire and guilt somebody into something. <laughs> because all they need this much uh, push from the other side to be unguilted into another area. So uh, invitation are one thing, inspiration is one thing, but guilt's a terrible thing to, to, to bring people in. So we were just open-hearted. God, bring people in. And when he, when he did in April of 99, we were up to 13 hours a day um, being covered. And by September of 99, we, we had all 84 sets completed, which was just kind of an unbelievable thing. And, you know, you know it's a God thing. But I had to tell everybody, after, after the first year of watching people um, vying for position and uh, people competing against each other vocally or worship leader trying to do a better set than the last one did, as opposed to just doing the best that they're called to do or, or, or whatever it may be. Just, just give your gift, give your heart. That's all people want to see. They just want you to be authentic and real and kind and all those things that make up a believer, not the activity of believers. Um, and so after the first year, I, I finally said, okay, everybody take out, you know, I wish I could do it now, but nobody has coins anymore. But I said, take out a coin and put it in your hand. So everybody took out a coin. I have a quarter in my hand which is really good. I don't, usually don't have that 
large of a coin in my hand. Um, <clears throat> I, I said, put it in your hand. And I just I said, hold your hand up. And I walked out and I just began to pick up the, the quarters. And people were like, you're taking your money. I said, yeah, so I put it all back. And I said, okay, now, now like this. And when I get close to you, uh, just close it. So they had it like this, and they, suddenly they just, they just closed it. And I, and I tried to get it, and I said, I can't, I can't get it. They said, I know, I've got it closed. And they were so happy that they, they kept me from getting what they had. <clears throat> and I said, sometimes God calls us to a place, but he has something better for us. But we so want that place, we close our hand around God's taking and moving us somewhere else. I said, the worst thing you can do is to close your hand or your heart or your mind when God comes around and says, I, I want to change something. I want to move something. I want to I give you something better. Uh, there, was, there were people, the, the criteria, and I've said this here before, but the criteria for being on a worship team um, back then was, do you have a pulse? <laughs> if, you, if you had a pulse, you could be on the worship team because... If you were there the first year of the House of Prayer, there were some amazing sets. Yeah. I guess in a sense they were all amazing, but there were some that you got through and were grateful for the grace of God. And, and some of those probably were mine. Uh, it just Some people were called to help start something and see people were called to follow through to the next season. Some people are bridges. Some people have an assignment. I had an assignment when God brought me to Kansas City. I had an, an assignment. Assignment to help this guy named Mike Bickle. As I was a worship pastor there for 10 years, and then we started the House of Prayer. And my assignment was for a particular period of time to help start it, to help generate what it would look like. And then he just told me one day, remove your shadow. And it was very easy. So I just removed my shadow. We ended up moving to to Nashville, and when I got there, the Lord said, I've got an assignment for you, and I just said, what is it? And he said, cheerleader. I had no clue what cheerleader meant. What's it mean to be a cheerleader? And so shortly after I got there, the pastor stepped down, and the associate pastor was pretty new. He'd been a, just been a waiter, and he'd now come into associate pastor because he had been a part of the church for a while. People loved him. He loved people, but he didn't really know how to preach, run a church, or run a meeting. And so when I got there, uh, one guy steps down. They're going to get another pastor in his place. And he, he said, give me a shot. Let me try this. And the Lord said, there's your cheerleader. Or there's the one you're supposed to cheerlead. And I thought, what? And the board came to me, and they said, if you will come on for a year, we'll let him, we'll let him try as senior pastor. I said, oh, this is what God means by cheerleader. I'm supposed to be his cheerleader. And I, it was supposed to be one year. It took three years. It didn't matter how long it took. <clears throat> My job was to be his friend, to be a sounding board, to give him thoughts and ideas, to rah-rah him uh, in, in, that, in that role. And that was 2007. He's now been pastor since then. Church has exploded. He's doing great. I love it. And the Lord just said, okay, it's remove your shadow. It's time to move on. And so the idea, <clears throat> some people say, oh, that's great. Well, the problem is you have to move. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like, no, okay, Chris, I'm going to have you move this time. No, I don't want to move again. Um, <clears throat> so our house goes up for sale in about a month in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, because uh, the Lord's giving us another assignment. And it's back in Kansas City. I believe that's where it is. And it has to do with being an, a hands-on grandparent. Um, I never had that assignment when I was younger. Um, <laughs> But I believe that's what the Lord's calling us. And so in Isaiah 43, this is where it really started for me some months ago. Uh, this is what the Lord says. Isaiah 43, 17 through 19. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again. He's trying to remind us what he's done. He, he drew out the chariots and the horses. In other words, he drew out the enemy and now they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it brings up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. <clears throat> That's kind of been my life of <clears throat> hearing or seeing something that's calling me to, to, to move beyond my comfort zone. Um, the two important words I, I just I feel in there are um, see and perceive. I, I go to a lot of conferences. I, I bring books. <clears throat> in my books, are, here's my book titles. Ready? The Wild Love of God. The Love Project. <laughs> okay. Unstuck. Getting, you know, that. So... My books are then next to my old, bu my buddy I've known since I moved from here, James Gall. And James put his book right next to mine. Seeing what God's saying now. Do you want to know a secret? And it just goes on, and all the prophetic books are over here, and all the books on love are here, and the line is over here. <laughs> now, I'm not upset about that. People want to know what God is saying. They are hungry to hear what God is saying. Right. What does God want me to do? What, what's, what's next in my life? And, and I, I love the, the books. I read them. He, he gives them to me. I give mine to him. It's great. And books that, that help give me a glimpse, a greater glimpse of what, how God speaks and, and how he might speak to me. Um, <clears throat> but it is, it's, it's just... It comes down to watching people. What do, what do they hunger after? Now, I'm, this is not a complaint that they're not buying mine. They do. I'm not worried about it. Um, uh, but when we see them face to face, I'm not going to actually. So, Lord, would you teach me how to prophesy? Uh, it's no need. You're here. Just enjoy love and love well. And so that's, that's the bottom line for our lives. But till then... We do need to see, and we do need to perceive, because that's what God is saying. He's saying, see, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? <clears throat> so in verse, in verse 18, one of the main reasons we can't see or perceive, and he goes back, he says, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. And then in, in a number of areas in Scripture, it says, it says remember, remember. And, you, and then you hear, don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Remember, remember. I'm like, all right. Am I supposed to remember, not to dwell? 
or do I dwell on things that I'm supposed to remember? I'm not sure which it helped me, God. <clears throat> um, in this, I, I love this definition. Um, <coughs> the word to forget, in biblical terminology, the word to, to forget means this, to no longer be influenced by or affected by. So I, I'm supposed to remember the goodness of God, but the, he says don't dwell. The word dwell uh, really means to, to focus in an unhealthy way, and basically what he's saying is this, we either wallow in our past or we glory in our past. Either one of those things are influencing or affecting us if we do them. Some people wallow in their past. Oh, I didn't do this. This happened. This was a major break. This was a, was a horrible situation. And we live, and in, in you, you can tell is when, when you go to sleep, what is that one thing that keeps you awake till 1.30 or 2 in the morning? We just go back to our, oh, I wish I hadn't have done this. Oh, this is such a stupid thing. Oh, I wish they hadn't have done this. And, and oh, where's this money going to come from? And the fear, and, you know, and instead of remembering, by the way, I, I, I took care of, the horses and the chariots, and they're not moving anymore. So I remember his goodness, but I don't want to wallow in the past, but neither do I want to glory in the past. All right? I had a really good athletic five years. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> it ended kind of the summer of 73. I met the Lord, went to Brockport, got into a church, and Basically, just from there on in, was, was playing pickup basketball, pickup soccer, whatever it was. But before then, I had a, had a really great athletic career. Um, uh, and and you, it would be really obnoxious if all I did was talk about when I was 16. Right? Do you want to hear the stories of Bobby when he comes over? Hey, Bobby's coming over tonight. Oh, what's wrong? Nothing. His freshman year of college. That's all he'll talk about. Hey, Bobby, how you doing? Oh, I'm not like when I was a freshman. <laughs> I, I want to remember the good things of my past. I don't want to glory in them. Because what glory do, if the glory in my past then influences my present and takes me away from what I'm called to do. It takes away, it steals my mind and it steals that gumption in me in God to move forward because I just want to hold on to it a little longer. <clears throat> you ever seen those movies where the guy is, is going up, you know, they're going down a cliff and he, he, if he just lets go of the bag of gold, he'll be okay? You know those movies? And you're just like, let go of the gold. You idiot. He goes, no, it's mine. It is for about seven more seconds. <laughs> Not Philippians, not that I have attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to hold on that which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not kid, or my, I do not kid myself. I don't either. I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of, but one thing I do, forget what is behind. And, and one of the translations, I, I want to put this one there, and strain towards what is ahead. The word strain means to lean with energy to strain, to, to put my energy towards what is ahead. <clears throat> I think about that as, as an individual. You know, we're, we're looking, God, where do you want us? Um, what do you have for us? Because for me, one of the greatest things in life, <clears throat> I, I want to know the gift. I want to know the calling. Those are, all, those are all great. 
But what I really want to know is, is in the season I'm in, what's my purpose? Because I'll tell you right now, <clears throat> most people right now are not going out and, and buying snowmobiles uh, and anything that has to do with snow around here. Is that true? Why? It's done. Well, I, it's Rochester. It's not, it's not May yet, so it's not really done. Um, but you understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> there are seasons. God's a God of seasons. God, you know, right? I just went into a um, store the other day, and it was filled with summer clothes. And that was two weeks ago. And so it was the, the middle beginning of February, and it was filled with summer clothes. I go, wow, they got to jump on it. But they understand. They understand. They know, they know that life is, is seasonal. And so everything, everything is very intentional that way when you know life is a season. If you don't, if you don't grasp the understanding of life as a season, we tend to, uh, well, who was it? Mark, uh, um, I didn't plan on sharing that. Three days, uh, guests for three days are like fish. How does that, remember? Mark Twain? Yeah. Guests are like fish. After three days, they stink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <clears throat> um, you're all welcome to my house for no more than three days. Um, <clears throat> when we moved from North Chilite years ago, um, uh, a move of God can affect just the person, but it usually affects more than just the person. If you're married, it affects your, your, your spouse, it affects your children, it affects others around you. And so to hear from God, um, I, I, this is not to put the fear of God in anybody, but to hear, just to, to, to understand that your life is not um, a singular life that has no effect on the world around you. You do. So when I'm hearing God, I'm hearing God for the world that, that he's giving me influence in. And so it's not a selfish, well, I'm going to, no, you're, it, it, really? Think about all that's around you. Now, I'm not having every voice affect what's around me. I want to make sure that I have on the front end wisdom to walk in what I'm about to change. People love, don't you love change? Really? Without change, you'd all die the first day you're born. You've been changing constantly. I remember we'd go up to the St. Lawrence River. I'd see my Aunt Anna. And one summer, I grew five inches in one summer. And so we went to, to the St. Lawrence in August of that year. It was the middle of August. It was usually later than we usually do. <clears throat> and I walked in, and she looked at me and goes, Oh, my goodness, you've changed. She goes, I wouldn't have recognized you on the street. And, and I was like, Yeah, yeah, baby. I'm a big boy now. <laughs> I felt really good. And then I kept changing. Lines in my hands. Little age freckles. <laughs> I, I gained five pounds since my senior year in high school. <laughs> I was going to go to my 50th kindergarten anniversary reunion, but I didn't quite know how to explain the 185 pounds I'd gained since then. So, um, 
I wanted Melissa to stay seven years old her whole life, my youngest daughter. <clears throat> She's now 35 and has three children. And now I want them to stay exactly like they are. Because I don't want that. I tell them that. And they say, oh, Papa, i got to get older. I said, you don't have to. I just said, try. Try to, try to stay seven. I don't know if I can do that. And so they're really worried about having <laughs> I don't make them feel that guilty. Um, but when someone changes around us, when I, when I moved from here, um, Lola's many years ago, oh my gosh, that went fast. Um, I, I, had a, I, was, I was associate pastor here, and I was moving to Kansas City, and it was, it was really confirmed. And, and two of the, the pastors that were here, we got together, and we were praying, and it was all very good. And then finally someone said, you're not supposed to go. I said, what? He said, you're not supposed to go. It's not God. I said, well, gosh, we feel that it is, and we're at peace. Our kids are at peace. Um, we, we just really sense that we've had confirmation from here. And then somebody else said, I confirm with him that you're not supposed to go. I said, wow, I'm in this meeting with about seven people, and two out of the seven, um, make that two out of the six, because I'm one of the seven, uh, are now not happy with us going. And then one of them yells at me. I mean, raises their voice and yells at me. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is not, and it's funny. I just felt, I, 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 I felt really peaceful. I shouldn't have, but I felt really peaceful because I knew what God had for us. So I was sitting there, and I wasn't smiling at them. <laughs> It'd be horrible, someone yelling, going, you know. Um, <clears throat> New York Times would pick that up fast. <laughs> Never mind. It was a political joke. Um, and so... So one of the guys gets up and he storms out of the room. I go, oh no, here we go. Uh, anybody else going to leave? I, that's what I said. I said, anybody else going to leave? And they said, no, no, we're just trying to process what's going on. And about five minutes later, he comes back in the room with a bowl of water and a towel and he starts to take my shoes off and he washes my feet. He says, I'm sorry. I love you and I love your support. I love what you have to offer here, and I personally didn't, don't want you to go, and I'm pushing against God because of my selfishness. Will you forgive me? And I said, no, absolutely no. <laughs> I said, of course, of course, and then the other guy that, yelled, uh, that spoke to me, and he's the guy that yelled, he turned to me and goes, you've had a real effect on my kids, and you've really blessed them, and my response to you is because I wanted you to continue to have an effect on my kids. And I'm sorry, it was selfish. Will you forgive me? I said, yeah, absolutely. So they were honest with their feelings, but they, they weren't ready for, for change. And though I'd been telling them something's going to have to change, something, something is, is happening. And so I ended up getting their blessing in the process. Um, <clears throat> it made me a little skittish and... <laughs> I was just thinking of, biblically, who didn't see change? Um, uh, who didn't see what God was doing? Who did not perceive what was happening? Joseph comes, talks about a dream. His father makes him a coat of many colors. He has a promise from God. He doesn't know the full extent of what the promise is, but he does know this. His brothers are going to bow down to him, and the only ones you bow down to are those that are in charge of a country. So he knows what's happening. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, he has no clue of what God's going to do, but he's confident. He's a little overconfident in the beginning. Um, but his brothers didn't see it. 
And sometimes when you don't, when you don't like the change or what God puts in front of you, you try to kill it, which is what they tried to do. They tried to kill the change. They tried to kill what God was doing because it didn't include them in the same way that they thought they should be included. I'm going to have to buzz through them. The children of Israel, they experienced everything I talked about in Isaiah 43. They experienced unbelievable miracles of water, of food, divinely falling from heaven, <clears throat> being released from bondage. The Red Sea parts. The enemy is killed. <clears throat> right, they're led right up to the promised land, and then boom, they began to see through logic and not faith. They didn't perceive that God, who had done what he had done, could do what he was promising them to do. So at that point, they stopped. They saw in the natural. They, they, they didn't take the, how you rem the remember part. The remember is the empowering of what God has done into the present to change and affect the future. They didn't take that. At that point, they let fear, the, the whisper of fear come in, and suddenly they couldn't see what God could do because of what God had done. And through the, through the eyes of logic, they missed it, and they spent 40 years wandering. I don't want to do that. <clears throat> I want to have the ability to see. When I was a kid, my, my cousins ha had 200 acres, 120 acres, and we would, play, um, <clears throat> we would play World War II games all the time because they had a woods. And to a little kids, a woods is a war game. That's, I mean, to a, to a little boy, give me, give me space, give me woods, and I'll, I'll play war all afternoon. Um, when I was five years old, my sister decided to, and she decided that there was a trunk of old clothes and she was going to put on a play. I don't know if you remember this, but yeah. And yeah, but to a little girl, a trunk of clothes is what? It's a play. You take out the, and to, to an adult, it's like, oh, get rid of these things. There's moths. It smells. To a little kid, it's like, oh, wow have a play. So she dressed me up and put a dress on me at five years old. No, it wasn't that funny. And I was a character from Little Women. And she put lipstick on me. That was the last day I ever wore lipstick. But what do they see? They see it's not old dead clothes. It's, it's, it's a play. Here's, here's some guys that in, in just a couple seconds missed it. Uh, Nolan uh, Bushnell, Atari founder. Steve Jobs offered him a job. He offered him um, to invest $50,000 in a new company that Steve Jobs was going to create. He turned it down. He would have owned one-third of Apple, and he would, which is now worth over $450 billion. He would have owned a third, but he didn't see it. Now, I understand we don't always see the things that are happening, but I, I don't want to miss what God's done. Ronald Wayne, uh, Apple's third co-founder, sold 10% of the stake because it started out slow, so he decided to sell it for $800. Today, he would be worth $40 billion. Al Pacino, they brought him a movie. He didn't understand it. He said, I don't understand this movie. It looks stupid. Plus, it's a science fiction movie. Forget it. So he turned down the part, and Harrison Ford got the part of Han Solo. <clears throat> Sometimes you miss You know what? We all miss it. So we don't dwell on the past. We don't let how we've missed it influence us. 
But at the same time, I want to have a little more insight in now so I don't miss it when I'm not supposed to. Okay? I don't want to just have the ability to have the grace of God to, uh, to take care of what is past and what has been hurt. I, I appreciate God touching all the hurts of my life. But sometimes I actually want to make a decision that's right. I want, I want the $40 billion decision. Does anybody want the $40 billion decision? I do. Okay. I think one of the greatest moments of seeing... Oh, I've got till 35 after. I've got seven minutes. Wow. I've got all sorts of time. <clears throat> Jesus at the cross, and one of, the mocks, one of the, uh, <clears throat> those next to him mocks him and, and says, you know, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. But the other one looks over at him, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He saw it. He saw something. He knew something. I think he knew something about this man. He looks over, and he doesn't see him through the eyes of the natural. He sees him as a supernatural being, and he knows something's going on, and he's got a kingdom somewhere. I know this, this is more than just a man. Remember me. That day he got heaven. I, just, I, I love that story. He didn't, he didn't miss it. In, the Acts, of the, in Acts 15, 5, I love this line in verse 5. It says, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So in other words, they were living a new covenant life, but they they were grasping an old covenant understanding. They wanted to bring that which was old into what God was doing, which was new. And so they wanted to circumcise every squirrel and every man that came into the kingdom. (laughs) Somebody just looked at me and went, huh? Never never mind. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody really did. <laughs> they didn't see what God is doing. They wanted to burden them with an old covenant law when God was bringing forth a new covenant reality. Yeah. And sometimes when we want to do something, when something new is like, we're like, oh, this is great. Let's bring this dead thing along with us. Because I like this dead thing. And, and, and you liked it because it had a season. God had it for a season. But now God's doing something new. Do you perceive it? Sometimes we see it, but we go to the level of perceiving. We can then understand, oh, the level of what God has for us in this new season. Places, churches that hold old dead things are called museums. Okay, new hope's not a museum. It's new and it's hope. Both of those are forward pressing. Both of those speak about a kingdom to come. They speak about a now, and they speak about what is to come. <clears throat> what I love about God is he's not the God of I missed it. He's, he's you know, I've missed it, I've, therefore I've got, no. He's not even the God, I love this, he's the God of the second chance. I appreciate that, but my second chance happened probably 40 years ago. So he's the God of the 10,000th chance. <laughs> Anybody else understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, seriously, if he was God of the second chance... Heaven forbid when I come for the third time. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) You know, we talked before. (laughs) Is there any chance? No. I'm the God of the second chance. (laughs) Okay. But he's not. He's the God of the unlimited chances. I just don't want to keep going back for forgiveness when I need to go forward for purpose. Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world. Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what's the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. 
Years ago, when I stood in this church, actually, when I was in, even back in Brockport, a, a gentleman who I loved and respected greatly, but had a, a, what I thought was a very distorted understanding of that scripture. And the understanding was there's goodwill, then there's a different kind which is acceptable, and then there's the kind that you have to have which is perfect. And you divide it into three wills, and, and my life was miserable from that point on because I could only, I only want to do perfect. Who, who wants to do just the goodwill? And so that's where I was left with. Oh, I was just good. I wasn't perfect. It's accept. I'll accept it. I don't really want to. You could have done much better, Chris. I know, I should have been perfect. And the reality is they're all descriptions of the will, yeah. one will of God. It's a good will. Oh, he accepts it. He loves it. And, and, and because it's done out of love, it's a perfect, it's perfect. They're together. They're together. Yeah. <clears throat> and my theology changed when I moved from here. When I went to Kansas City, I was praying, Lord, do you want us to, to be there? I had a supernatural dream. Some guy came over in the morning, a prophetic, very well-known prophetic guy, came over for breakfast to join us. And I said, I had this dream. And then he interpreted the dream right down to exactly the hospital that I worked with, uh, worked in, in Genesee Hospital. He had the total interpretation for it. <clears throat> and I just sat there stunned. And then he looked at me and he said, you've been praying about, do you, are you going to miss God? Are you going to not miss God? And he said, here's the thing, is that God dwells in you and wants to move in you. Where is your heart in the midst of this? I said, I think we're supposed to be here and I really want to be here. He said, if you go, I was invited to be a pastor in Lockport. If you go to Lockport, God will be with you and do great things. If you stay in North Chile, God will be with you and do great things. And if you come to Kansas City, God will be with you and do great things. Is your heart set against God? I said, no, I just want to do what he wants to do. Then go with what you know to be true and what you sense to be true, what you feel confirmed to be true, and watch God will do good things. And let's stop trying to do the absolute perfect. And we, we become these perfect kind of beings. You know what perfect people do? They look down on imperfect people. And everyone around us is that way, but we're perfected in him. Bottom line is this. God has new things in store for you, your family, for your relationships, and for new hope. He doesn't want to hide from you, but he doesn't want us to desire sameness more than the journey with him. I don't ever want to live in sameness when I'm being invited higher. A familiar phrase is in order to go where you've never been, we have to do something we've never done. And so do me a favor. Let's stand. I want to repeat a, a scripture with me. <clears throat> Just close your eyes and repeat this after me. This is from Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of my heart may be enlightened in order that I might know you and see you and know the hope to which I've been called. So Lord, we ask, we pray that. We ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would perceive to that which you've called us to do. Let us not be a museum in our heart holding on to the things that have been. But let us move forward knowing that you're waiting for us to walk into our promised land in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to find out more of what's happening here at New Hope, please contact newhopecom.org or download additional messages from our podcasts.